Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to My Millennium Money Professional. My name's Dev Raga, and I'm your host, And in this episode, we will discuss the concept of right-sizing. Now, in the last episode, we discussed the concept of downsizing. Now, we are still thinking to the theme of labor markets, not about downsizing when you retire and you sell your home and you want to downsize your lifestyle. Now, before we get started on this episode, I have a really important announcement to make. Now, we initially were known as... Devraga Personal Finance back in the day when I first started these episodes. And remember, the main reason for this was because to leave a blueprint for my friends, my family, my kids to make sure they know the principles of finance. Then we moved to My Millennial Money Medical because it was really attracted to the healthcare space. Then more and more non-healthcare workers started listening to it. And then we changed the name to My Millennial Money Professional. In the new year, We're going to change the name again, and you'll be surprised what it's going to be called. Now, I won't announce it just yet, but just letting everyone know that there is a name change coming, and uh, it's, dare I say, back to basic principles. Now, back to the episode of Right Sizing. Let's get started. If you want me to discuss a specific topic, or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. And for those of you that are new to the channel, remember the three main aims, education, empowerment, and entertainment. Now to the main topic. In the previous episode, we discussed the concept of downsizing. Now, basically, businesses reduce their overall workforce to remain competitive in the business. There are a variety of ways businesses could do this and a variety of reasons for it as well. We discussed the pros and cons of each of those ways and each of those reasons. But in this episode, we're going to be focusing on right-sizing. So what is right-sizing? Basically, this is when companies look at their workforce and optimize them. Part of it could be reducing the workforce a little bit, but a lot of it is avoiding duplication and upskilling their workforce. There are two key questions to answer. What does a company currently have? What does a company currently need or need in the future? Essentially, bridging the gap is right-sizing. What are some of the methods to do this? Number one is ratio analysis. You're going to analyze the personnel to yield ratio. This is basically a ratio between the total number of employees a company has and the percentage of people that move to the next stage of the hiring process. The second ratio we need to know about is productivity ratio. This is when companies try and quantify the total hours of work put into a company or project and then by measuring the total work units and outputs. A simple example might be something like if a company produces 10 items in one hour and it takes two people to produce it, the productivity ratio is 10 divided by two, which is five. The higher the productivity ratio, the better for a company. Now, there are various ways of measuring this. 
You can measure it using turnover ratio. This is when companies measuring how many people leave a company based on the total workforce. For example, a high turnover company may be a red flag. If 100 employees leave in a company in one hour and they only have 1,000 employees, that's a very high turnover ratio. And the other ratio is cost per hire ratio. This is important to a company as they want to keep the costs as low as possible. The cost of hiring includes advertising, marketing, interview process, etc., etc., because this takes time and effort and money, which of course dips into a company's overall profit. You want to keep these costs as low as possible. Now, the second thing you need to think about is activity analysis. You've got to analyse the speed. How fast are the workers working? This can be a survey conducted, and this means that you can imagine, which is quite useful in the manufacturing industry, particularly high-volume businesses. We've all seen those videos on YouTube about those fast workers. And if you haven't seen that yet, it's amazing how fast some people truly are in their own workspace. What about efficiency? This is more tricky to analyse and can be subjective, but we have discussed about productivity ratios before. Essentially, you want a workforce to be as lean and efficient as possible, given labour is the costliest aspect of most of the company. Less people doing more work equals higher productivity. This is where integration of AI or robots comes in to aid the workforce in doing their job more effectively. This is especially true for repetitive tasks. Now, there are multiple steps in an organisation that needs to take to do the right-sizing process. And here is just one example. Step one is analysis of the current structure. Before a company does anything with its workforce, they need to analyse and understand their current workforce within the business. And this analysis involves organisational structures. Analysis and analysing various departments and their functions to see if they're meeting their goals. Understanding what each role is designed to do and how it contributes to the goals of the company overall. And this process allows the company to see where the redundancies are, but also provides opportunities to find out where the gaps are. And from here, the company can work out if they need to hire more workers in some departments which need a bit more expertise and reduce the workforce in other departments which doesn't really need the workers due to redundancies and processes and workflow changes. Step two is... They've got to identify essential roles and personnels. A company will need to define what roles are absolutely essential. In the healthcare setting, it is very rare that frontline healthcare workers will be reduced because without them, the health system doesn't function. Can you imagine what would happen if GP specialists across the country simply didn't exist or stopped seeing patients? Likewise, imagine if all cardiac nurses simply stopped. So identifying roles in an organisation which are absolutely essential allows the company to start from a bare-bones approach. Within this analysis, if someone is underperforming, you can work out are they really suitable for the position or the job. It really does help for you to work out which employees you need to keep out of all the essential employees in the important departments. Then you may need to consider these questions. Number one, if you lose someone, then how hard is it to position to fill? Number two is, how critical is the role for the success of the company or department? And number three is, how does this position protect the company from any known or unknown risks? Now, this step is not just an executive decision. It has to come from the ground up, including the departmental heads. Now, step three is determining the operational requirements. This means you need to account for the total cost of the labour workforce. 
This also means analysing the full labour reports, including all the overheads that go towards your employees. Step four is continuous improvement and analysis. Once you've done the essential roles and personnel assets and finished your structural analysis, things may not work out well. So you will need to continuously analyse, improve and make changes to the workforce. Keeping tabs on employee morale is really important. And ultimately, employee morale is really key to running an efficient workforce. At this stage, you may want to learn a bit more about some of the symptoms of poor workforce, low morale or difficulty work environments. Have a look around you. Have you noticed that there are missed deadlines, lack of initiatives, more customer complaints, excessive sick leave? You'll notice this is something a lot of health services keep tabs on. If employees take excessive sick leave, this is one of the red flags that something is up. Gossip, misinformation, is there breakdown in communication? Is a lack of discipline? Just employees turning up late to work? A huge problem in some industries, including the healthcare industry. What about staff arriving too early, for example? You will notice this sort of thing happens in healthcare environments quite a lot. If you watch who comes on time and who doesn't, it tells you a lot about that person's commitment to the service, barring any life issues. What about the lack of meeting contribution? Now, you'll notice there are some people who contribute actively in meetings, but others just lay low and stay quiet, although the latter is not a bad strategy, but it gets noticed and perceived as lack of initiative. This is something I take note of. I just don't ask anything to that person who I perceive as being uninterested. If you're shy and timid, it's really a negative quality sometimes. And at this stage, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll look at the pros and cons of right-sizing. Be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cosy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Now, welcome back. For those of you that have just joined, have you worked out what the new name of the podcast is going to be in 2024? Why don't you contact me? Why don't you tweet me? Why don't you Facebook me? Have a guess. Let's see if you get it right. Now, what are the pros of right-sizing? Number one is increasing profits. We have determined that labor is the biggest expense for a lot of companies. 
Streamlining workforce means you can efficientise the costs and therefore reduce them, improve the productivity which improves sales and services and likely improves profits. Meeting staff goals. Remember, having a workforce is a two-way street. They're parting with their expertise to improve the company's performance in return for a wage or salary or a career progression. They are trading time for their income. Part of that is to make sure the company is meeting the expectations and goals of the employee. And this means the employee needs to get something out of it, apart from just money. You will note some employees in your organisation are go-getters and are progressing up the ladder, chain, and others simply stay stagnant. In fact, this is one of the things I often notice in organisations. If someone is occupying the same position for a very long time, it can be a good thing, but a lot of the times it signals a problem. What about reducing redundancy costs? This means you're making sure you're doubling up unnecessary workforces than having to pay out the costs associated with redundancies. Constantly re-evaluating of workforce means you develop a culture in your company. You are constantly prepared for growth and development of the company, but also of staff. One of the problems with the latter is it means staff may improve so much they outgrow your organisation and move on. You will see some people don't hang around the company for a very long time. They keep moving every two to five years or so. That's because they're motivated and like to change things constantly. And often this means improving their financial prospects. Now, I've seen this in the healthcare industry quite a lot. A lot of the time, we deal with junior doctors, interns, residents, registrars, who outgrow your organisation, particularly the smaller ones. They become consultants. Then they move on. Or they might be starting as a junior doctor or getting into a training program and move on. And I have a very open and frank conversation about this. I want every doctor that works with me or for me to succeed. I don't want them to linger around for the rest of their lives in my organisation because otherwise I don't see them growing. And that's not a good thing. So I think this should be encouraged. I think when I talk to doctors, especially, I talk about it's okay even if you come and work for us for a couple of years and you migrate out to another organisation, hopefully we've helped you grow and we've helped you get to that next step. And I think if you're a leader in whatever profession this might be, whether it be healthcare, non-healthcare, doesn't matter. I think we need to take this into account. We need to grow the staff. And it's okay if they don't stick around for too long because it means that they've gained from your expertise and they've moved on because they're much more expertise in other areas and they can't utilise those services and skills in your organisation and that's okay. And having that open and transparent conversation with them early on when they apply for the job or early on in their career in your organisation is really important. Now, what are the cons and risks of right-sizing? Number one is you lose trust from employees. Employees want job security and need to understand their efforts are being recognised like downsizing, if right-sizing means creating instability and also changing the role of the employee, it can create an environment of distrust for the employees. This leads to remaining employees to search for another job and simply move on. The problem with this is the department employees take their skills somewhere else, but more importantly, they take the intellectual property and institutional knowledge to other companies. Yes, you can sign an NDA and all of that, but it usually doesn't work as a lot of the stuff is very hard to prove. New employees brought on during the right-sizing process means they need training. This takes time, and that time is lost productivity. I've actually seen this happen in organisations time and time again where they attempt to change workforce and end up getting the wrong person and everything goes to square one again. And all that time you've wasted is gone forever. 
let's use an example of some of the concepts. Amy is a doctor brought into a GP clinic. She has a special interest in procedural medicine, particularly emergency and urgent care problems like orthopaedics, or laceration repairs and injuries. She's now three weeks into her clinic and has noted some things in the clinic which are starting to really annoy her. She sets up a clinic meeting with the practice manager and the practice principal and explains the following. Number one, the instruments are of poor quality and often the wrong type for the procedures she wants to do. One of the things she mentions is flat forceps without teeth can't be used to properly to suture up skin wounds post-excisions. We've all been in that situation and it really pisses me off. Number two is the printers often need rebooting, paper jams and sometimes simply don't work. As a doctor, we've been through this in public hospitals, private hospitals, clinics, It is so frustrating trying to make your printer work. Pisses me off. There isn't much time protected to check results, which happens in our own time at home or before clinic. Is it possible to have a 30 minutes per day just to check results? We've all been through this. Now, if you're a patient, a lot of the time doctors have to check results in their own time. There is no protected time. So therefore, they're doing free work. That's just part of the job. It's something that a lot of patients don't realise and it's something that really pisses me off. Number four is the clinic rooms don't have automated BP monitors and all the blood pressures are having to be done manually, which reduces productivity. Pisses me off. At the end of the clinic, she's unable to keep track of her billings and doesn't have access to the billing reports for herself. That used to really piss me off. Number... I don't know, whatever count it is, results or correspondence, for example, doesn't get scanned in on time. So when the patient is consulted, Amy doesn't have the records on the computer, which means she has to go hunting for them in the inbox tray. Particularly true if you send a patient to a specialist who then writes the letter and doesn't electronically submit it, they do a paper letter. That needs to be physically scanned onto the electronic medical record, and that is a human that does that. And if that process is delayed and the patient is in front of you then literally the doctor has to go hunting for that piece of information so that the correspondence can be matched to the clinical care. Pisses me off. Practice staff don't actively look at appointments to see if patients can come in earlier if there is a gap. This means the doctor can finish early and other things are more productive. Granted, this may not be possible if the patient can't actually come in. It makes little sense to have a two-hour gap between 3pm and 5pm appointments But it's good to get the 5pm person, if possible, if they're willing to come in early so that the doctor can finish their clinic and go and move on to the next work. Pisses me off. Now, for those of you that have listened to this, I'm sure a lot of you understand these frustrations, whether you're a GP, a non-GP specialist or any doctor. And for those of you that are patients, I'm sure you understand the frustrations of having to go see a doctor who doesn't have all the information in front of them to make the clinical decision. These are some of the frustrations that patients share and also healthcare workers share across the board. Although a lot of these things sound very, very minor, these affect productivity. These affect efficiency. That can really piss off doctors. So they just leave. The practice manager simply says, it is what it is. And as a result, Amy moves practices in another suburb and is over three to six months has improved her productivity, which has resulted in better patient care, better billings, which means the clinic makes more profits and the doctor is happy because their income is also improving. 
Meanwhile, Amy's old practice has no one to do the procedures or urgent care medicine, so they just keep referring patients to their local ED, and the reputation suffers as a result. Now, for non-doctors, this is a very, very common scenario and frustrations amongst doctors. Doctors just want to do their work well, efficiently and effectively, and need the tools in order to do this properly. It takes a lot of time to train people. If you just met with your employees and asked their concerns and come to an agreement, it'd be a lot easier rather than having to turn out and rotate staff all the time. Now, that's about it for this episode called Right Sizing. Remember to leave a five-star review or rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be using. Now, please leave a positive review. And on that note, here's a review from Dr. Molly, who's titled A Wealth of Information. Thanks, Dev, for the time you put into creating this financial encyclopedia of knowledge. The information is clear, concise, and very easy to understand. Uh, It looks like Dr. Molly is a dentist. They've actually written VJ Dentist. So thank you very much for that. I really appreciate it. Now, this podcast channel is for everyone, not just doctors, not just healthcare workers, not just dentists. It's for everyone because we are a diverse bunch. It turns out the principles and concepts of money, no matter where you are, no matter when you listen to this, you'll come back in 50 years time and the concepts remain the same. My name's Dev Raga. This is My Millennium Money Professional, perhaps for the last time, who knows? And until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. 